So the first episode of Mandalorian season three was pretty dope. Wait, what? This was the this was still the Book of Boba Fett? This is chapter five? Okay then. Chapter five, Book of Boba Fett. It's pretty good. I think it's safe to say that we were all a little surprised that there was no Boba Fett in this episode, but I think it's also safe to say that we were all a little happy that it was just all badass Din Djarin again. And he's wielding everyone's favorite Beskar weapon. The freaking Darksaber. I have another excuse to wield this again. I did not think we were going to see a lightsaber in this show at all. So that makes me so happy because lightsabers are Star Wars. Probably should have mentioned this is filled with spoilers. Though if you haven't watched chapter five yet, then what are you doing? Get out of here. Okay, seriously. Welcome to Han Talks First. I am Han. It's a Star Wars show. We talk about Star Wars every week. Today, we're obviously talking about chapter five of the book of Boba Fett, which was awesome. And a lot of people online have shared their opinions that they thought it was awesome too. We're going to break down everything here. I'm going to give you my thoughts and we'll talk about where this the show could possibly go in episode six and seven. Oh, let's get started. So I didn't do a first reaction short clip like I normally do every week because I was not at home. But I guess just to give you my first reaction to this, I was a little shocked that there was so much exposition for the Mandalorian television show in a Boba Fett series. And not only in the series, but in this one particular episode in which Mandalorian has not yet appeared in until now. And I think it's so fascinating because there's, there's a significant amount of people that do not watch Boba Fett that did watch The Mandalorian. It's not to say that The Book of Boba Fett is bad or anything, but there is more appeal to Mandalorian than there is to Boba Fett. And, you know, of course, the things like Grogu. Grogu not being in the show is, of course, going to take a lot of people away because that's one of the things that brought a lot of people into The Mandalorian. I mean, how can you resist that face? You cannot resist me. I am the best, bitch. We're actually going to talk about this guy a little bit later, too because he might be popping up in the show later. But look, nonetheless, it was a pleasant surprise. There's tons of valuable information in this chapter that is definitely leading up to what events are going to occur in season three of The Mandalorian, which is why I made that joke earlier about this being like the first episode of season three. It sets up so much, such as how Din addressed his armorer and uh, Paz Vizla about removing his helmet. And now he has to atone for that, which means he has to return to Mandalore go into the caves under underground and like go swimming in the ponds or whatever the hell she told him to do. But I still think it is interesting that he doesn't ask more questions due to his history with other clans like Bo-Katan and finding out, you know, information about the Jedi and also giving up Grogu and showing Grogu his face, kind of like questioning his own ideals and philosophy that he went through his whole life knowing about. I thought maybe he would want to change that. It still could happen, of course, you know, further down the road as he starts to realize more about his people and where he comes from and maybe he'll change, but it's, it's an interesting setup. And I am worried for the people jumping into season three after Boba Fett, because, you know, I really do think this is an important episode for Din Djarin's storyline, but getting back to this episode, it starts off with a butcher shop in space on fricking Halo Installation 4, which really made me happy. I'm a massive Halo fan. For any of you who know me, you obviously know that. But this was the first thing I thought was, oh my God, they're on Halo. And then it went to a bigger, wider shot and it showed an actual ring. And I was like, it's the Halo rings. Oh my God, they're on Halo. This is amazing. Uh, Of course, it's not Halo. It's not some kind of weird crossover as much as I really want that to happen. But 
anyway, they're on this ring. He's doing more bounty hunting. And one of the people I was watching the show with was just like, how does this guy get around now? Because <laughs> his ship blew up in, in Mando. And it's like he only travels by jetpack everywhere. Could you imagine that route in space, how long that would take to get from planet to planet? Anyway, he's back to bounty hunting. Obviously, his clan of Mandalorians have a base there now, or that's where they have their little HQ. And it seems now that he has finally reconnected with his old people. And it was interesting to see that, of course, the armor had survived the events on Navarro, which I guess we all assumed was going to happen. But she finds out he has the Darksaber. She questions how he got it. And he she kind of explains where it came from. And it actually came from the Vizsla family. And Paz, of course, hears this and he wants to claim ownership of his family historic relic that they forged. And so he, of course, challenges Din, loses the challenge. It was, it was a little interesting because I thought because of this creed of this sect of Mandalorians that they were going to battle to the death because that's how I assumed in the past it was done. But of course, the armorer called it off and was like, okay, he gets to keep it or whatever. So obviously, I think this is going to play into season three of Mandalorian as well, because not only is Bo-Katan after the Darksaber, but now Paz Vizsla is also after the Darksaber. And look, I'm doing this show live, so I, you know, I, I'm not sure if Paz is the right name of the guy. I think it is. I think Pri Vizsla was his father, and Paz is his son, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know you guys will anyway. But tons of exposition for Mandalorian. That's what I'm getting at here. Anyway, we finally figure out how he's going to get onto Tatooine, and that is, of course, because he goes there because of a message from Homegirl. I don't remember her name, but there was this cheesy moment where she gets pulled behind a some kind of storage device and is being eaten by a womp rat, and it was very, like, it was very, I don't know the word for it, it was very theatrical comedy, and I didn't care for it, to be honest with you. I thought it was a little cheesy. But one of the great little cameos was, of course, from BD. We don't know if it's BD1 from the Jedi Fallen Order game, but that made me so happy. And he even did his little puppy dance that he does on the video game, which was so cool. And I'm so glad we get to see one of those units in live action, one of those droid units, because it's my favorite from Fallen Order. Actually, my favorite character of all, even though it's just a droid <laughs> from the video game. But that was really cool. And she presents... You know, she has a new ship idea for him and shows him the Naboo Starfighter, the N1, which was so cool to see and to see a practical one at that and to know that that's going to be his ship going forward. And there's even a little cockpit in the back for his homeboy Grogu to sit in and play with little balls and knobs and all that kind of stuff. But that's exciting. And the, the speed on this guy, I mean, he goes up into space to do a little test run and then he gets pulled over by that that guy we saw in season two uh, i can't remember his name but he's that actor from what is it um it's called it's some kind of it's with simu lu i can't remember it the, the store i don't know <laughs> i'm so out of touch right now it's really late it's really late but anyway and then he gets pulled over by them and he just like shoots off without hyper hyperdrive and it just he flies this guy is flying and it's so crazy and it that was cool to see you know how like star wars has its moments of like really iconic sounds visuals etc one of them being the um the detonator from boba fett's ship iconic sound and visual and right now for this show anyway 
it's the speed of the N1 going through space. That was amazing without hyperspeed. That was, it was really cool to see. And anyway, that's his new ship and it looks really cool. I'm so glad that he's getting a, a non-conventional Mandalorian ship to move around the galaxy with now. And of course, a callback. I did have a small problem with the nostalgia effect with the, I guess you could call it fan service. I hate that word. But was it really necessary to drive through the canyon that Anakin Skywalker was going through in episode one in the pod race scene? For those of you, for those of you that know me, you know the pod race scene is one of my favorite scenes ever and what I believe to be one of the top 10 most iconic moments in Star Wars. But I felt like it, was, it wasn't necessary. I mean, it's bad enough that this whole entire show takes place on Tatooine. And to keep throwing in these Easter eggs and callbacks, it's, it's, it's kind of getting overwhelming. Do you know what I'm saying? And this kind of leads me into one of my main theories about why I think this episode has kind of redeemed this show for a, a many of fans watching it. You know, one of the comments I see a lot online right now is, wow, this show is, this episode is the best of the Book of Boba Fett. It's so sad that you know, my favorite episode of Boba Fett is the one without Boba Fett or Din Djarin is so much cooler than Boba Fett, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of people's favorite episode, understandably. It's probably mine and I'll have a better idea once the show is over. But as of right now, it's pretty great. But one of my theories is it's not because it's Din Djarin. And it's not because of the nostalgia effect. It's not because of the lightsabers. It's not, it, that could be a factor, but the main point on why I think this episode opened up a lot of people's minds to it being a more acceptable show is we got off Tatooine. How many times since Disney's bought Star Wars have we gone to Tatooine? Sequels did a pretty good job of not going there as much as they should have, um, but in other side tales, like in animated form and in the side stories and in all the TV shows, the live action, They've gone back to Tatooine over and over and over. And this episode was the first time in like current events, not in flashbacks, that we have gone off planet, that we've gone off world and seen new places in Star Wars. The Butcher Shop, that was brand new. We'd never seen that before. The Halo Ring. What's up? We got their own Halo. Brand new. Never seen a Halo Ring in Star Wars before. And uh, the, the transport area, how we got to Tatooine, all this kind of stuff. We got off world. It's something new. Tatooine, there's really, there's, it's, it's sand, you know? It's just sand. That's why Anakin was so pissed off all the time. It's, it's, just a, it's, it's a, hey, what's, what's, what's over there? Sand? How about over there? More sand? I hate sand. It's coarse. It's rough. It's irritating. And it gets everywhere. I feel bad for Anakin Skywalker. I think that's a factor. I think that's why this was a little bit, it's, it started off in a new place. And right away, it gripped a lot of people. It was like, oh, thank God we're out, we're out of Tatooine. Yeah, Mandalorian had something to do with it because we saw a recognizable character. And another thing, of course, is I think it's also the mystery factor. A lot of complaints I've seen about Boba Fett is that he takes his helmet off too much. Understandably so. I mean, we all know what tomorrow looks like, but we thought when he got his armor back, he would go back to his old ways and kind of conceal his face so his enemies wouldn't know what he looked like or it just invokes fear because they can't tell what emotions he's doing 
this is a great opportunity for me to plug an episode of mine called uh, Behind the Mask, Star Wars Unmasked. I did a full episode. We break down tons of masks in Star Wars, talk about the meaning and how they were designed and all that kind of stuff. Please go check it out. I put a lot of work into it. It would mean a lot to me. But getting back to this identity of this episode, Din Djarin is still a masked character and it invokes mystery and it makes the audience want to know what he's thinking and feeling. And Boba Fett takes his helmet off every chance he can get and we get to read everything on his face, which isn't much because he is just a very stoic character and very deadpan character. Din Djarin, it's still mysterious and we still want to know a little bit more about this guy. I think Boba Fett the show can learn from that. I really think he should have kept his identity concealed more rather than removing his helmet every opportunity he can get. And again, that kind of goes off. The, they're trying to establish this new, this new Boba Fett, some new, it's not the same Boba Fett we knew from the original trilogy. But anyway, let's take a look here and see what else happened in this episode that I can talk about. Oh, the Beskar shield or spear. I'm really sad to see it go. I really am. I thought it was one of the coolest things that we've seen in this um, in these live action series, but he decided to make something for his little green friend, Grogu. And the big question is, what is it? Immediately, I thought it was going to be Grogu's little his little ball. Let's see if I can get it off this Lego. His little ball, his little uh, the knob to the Razor Crest. As we all know, the Razor Crest exploded, and that was his favorite toy from his daddy. And immediately, that's what I thought. The people I watched it with didn't think so. And some of the commentary from people online and on other podcasts have think that it's not a knob either. I'm still 100% convinced that's what it is. A lot of people wanted armor, understandably. There's tons of fan art and Etsy crafts out there of baby Yoda armor, which is really cute. And I would have loved to seen that too. But I do think it's going to be a ball the little silver play ball that he loved so much in the Mandalorian because the significance of that little circular piece of metal was so important to the story. It's what connected Grogu with Din Djarin to be able to one, let him go to, for him to communicate with the force for him to communicate with this little 50 year old green baby that can't speak basic English. That's how they communicated. And there was so much importance to it. You know, the little knob is the reason is it's the totem that made Din realize I have to go back. I have to go back and I have to save Grogu. So I think that's what it is. It could have a little sketch of it on, of like a, a mythosaur or something like that, or the rhinoceros or whatever the hell that was called uh, something, but very clever that when they wrapped it up, it was wrapped up to look like a Grogu head. That was genius. That was amazing. Uh, which leads me to the highlight of this episode. Uh, I'm shocked I didn't already talk about it, but the direction, the director, Bryce Dallas Howard, deserves all the credit for the success and amazingness of this episode. Amazingness is not a word. Don't use that, kids. Speak better English. <laughs> um, she did a great job. I think this was probably the best directed episode so far not just because it was visually amazing or anything like that, but because the character moments in this was so awesome. Bryce Dallas really knows what she's doing and she knows how to make something that feels like Star Wars. Look at the droid situation on, on that um, Halo ring when Din was about to leave to go to Tatooine. 
that could have been a very cheesy, clunky, corny scene when he was asking for him to drop his weapons, but it didn't feel that way. It actually felt really natural and it, they didn't play it off as some corny joke and it was done really well. And other little things like the time on Tatooine at the ladies' workshop on Mos Espa when she was showing him the, the new ship, the N1, and talking about <laughs> the jokes like she she boinks Jawas. That's right. She, that lady boinks Jawas. She's, she gets it on with some Jawas, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect that to happen, but it happened. <laughs> and the other cool thing that she did with the direction of this was all the jokes felt in place. They didn't feel really cheesy. Like in the, in the previous episode, when they busted into Jabba's palace and he was chasing around that little bunny looking thing that was it just felt a little weird you know i would love to see what she can do with boba though you know we we know she knows how to direct the mandalorian this was essentially an episode of the mandalorian can she do boba fett can she do on world tatooine stuff i want to see her do it i think she can i'm not saying she can't and she has a, she has a very distinct style she knows what she's doing you know she knows how to tell a story she all it's the same writer for all of these chapters of boba fett it's the same writer. So for those of us, myself included, who don't like certain episodes, it's all written by John Favreau. It's all the same writing. It's how these directors pick up the material and how they decide to tell the story. And Bryce Dallas Howard gets it. She gets Favreau. Now, I do have a little bit of a scoop onto why I think that this show is not running as smoothly or as cohesively as The Mandalorian did. And that is because John Favreau is really busy. Now, this was a report that came out last week that I failed to make a video on, but I'll I'll talk about it here now. John Favreau recently was appointed to a new position at Disney, last year actually, but it just now got announced, similar to the Dave Filoni situation when he was promoted and no one said anything about it. Well, he's now not only in charge of the Book of Boba Fett and many other Star Wars projects, but he's now the chief creative director at Disney overseeing not just Star Wars, but Marvel and Pixar and Disney proper, Disney Plus shows, all that. He's the, cre- the chief creative director. That is a heavy burden. And from the report that came out last week, it's saying that, you know, he had a little less time to focus on like group sessions with the directors in the Boba Fett show as he did with The Mandalorian because this new position has been kind of taking up a lot of his time. And I understand that. And when Bryce Howard comes in, she knows how John Favreau works. She knows what he wants. She knows how to tell his stories. So she has a, a fresh take on this material. So that's why I think her episode did really well. And it's kind of interesting to hear, you know, about this point of view and this new, this new role for John Favreau. Um, what else can we talk about this? You know, there's a great Terminator 2 callback in this episode where we got to see the purge of Mandalore. I thought that was really cool. And it's so obvious it was a callback to Terminator. It's so obvious. It was exactly like Terminator. And it was so cool. But it was even cooler to get more answers as to what the purge of Mandalore was. That was a big thing I was, you know, like wanted to know more about because that was brand new lore that hadn't been established yet. And I thought it was pretty cool. And hopefully we'll get more about the lore coming, you know, not only in this show, but also in Mandalorian season three. And with that out of the way, guys, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of it. That was the whole show. I, I thought this was a great episode. 
if episodes six and seven can be just as good as this, if not better, this is going to be a great series. It's, it's still a little disappointing that it, it took this long to get this good, but it just shows that, hey, sticking to something can be worth it. That about wraps up today's episode of Han Talks First. Thanks for joining us today on the show. If you want to leave a comment down below, I respond to everybody. And I would love to know your thoughts on this episode and where you think the show is going to go. Maybe you didn't like the show. I'd be curious to know your thoughts on that. But feel free to join us next week for chapter six. We're going to discuss everything here and tons of other content on the YouTube page if you want to check that out as well. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe, rate and review on Apple and Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And for now, somehow, someway, somewhere this week, may the force be with you. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first.